This is Wade Major along with... Uh, Mark Kaiser. Uh, you know, Mark, it's, uh, it's been a bad few days for the movies. Uh, it has. Well, you know what? It's funny because uh, I almost went on Facebook, which I never do, and uh, I was going to actually invite people to come with me to go see Dark Knight Rises, yeah. which I had already seen. Yeah. But that was my way of saying you should not be afraid to go to the movies just because there's one whack job out of 300 million who decides to do what he does. It, sh- it shouldn't keep people from going to the movies. And I was going to actually invite a bunch of friends to go that with me to see Dark Knight Rises as a, as a stick-it-to-the-jerk gesture. I, I like that. Thank you. I like that. You know, it's a, it, it, it's a strange thing. I was, um, I was scheduled to be on uh, Film Week this last week with Peter Rayner on Friday. Uh, KPCC locally here in Los Angeles uh, gets carried by other NPR stations somewhere and uh, it was Thursday night and I was doing my usual pre-film week cram since I never have time to actually (laughs) watch the movies we're going to talk about I I usually pull an all-nighter and uh, go in bleary-eyed having watched something like six movies in a row and um, so I was we only had nine movies this last week so I was watching uh, Harakiri Death of a Samurai the new Takashi Miike film which is a remake of the uh, the original Harakiri, which is on Criterion, was on Criterion Blu-ray last year. So I'm watching the Take- Takashi Miike remake. Finished it up around one one thirty in the in the morning, whatever it was, and uh, thought not not bad, pretty good. Compares pretty well to the the original. And uh, then I was getting ready to throw this uh, independent uh, Hindi language film on at two in the morning, and I checked my email and saw the breaking news. Hit the mic appropriately. Saw the breaking news about the the shooting, and I thought, great. And I fired an email off to the uh, producer of Film Week. I said, how, are, how, how exactly are we going to handle this now? Because this changes everything. And, uh, you know, did not expect him to be up at 2 in the morning. But uh, next morning, I'm on my way to Pasadena, middle of the freeway, and he calls and says, uh, you know what? The, the whole show has changed. We're not going to be reviewing any movies. We're just going to be talking about Dark Knight. It's going to be continuing the previous hour of, of air talk and taking calls and just be ready for that. And uh, which, of course, you know, I think on some level was a relief. I, I got there, and, and Peter Rayner was certainly of, of the right mind as well. And it was, uh, it was a sobering hour uh, with the callers and whatnot. But I think the thing that was consistent was everybody felt exactly as you just said, which is, you know what, movies are a communal experience. And this is an individual who, for whatever reasons, mental illness, anger, whatever, whatever it is, was lashing out at the communal experience, someone who was lonely, someone who was alone, isolated, uh, separated from humanity, totally off on, uh, on that isolated, emotionally chilled fringe, and uh, was lashing out at people who, for some reason, he was angry at, that were happier than he, had more fulfilled lives than he, were able to go out into the world and socialize uh, in ways that he couldn't. And I think if you, if you let that slide... And if you just say, screw it, I'm just going to watch streaming from now on, then we, it's just we, you know, more and more of us in gated communities, more and more of us staying home, more and more of us uh, isolating ourselves in exactly the way that creates this kind of dysfunction. Really, the terrorists win. Exactly. <laughs> they do. <laughs> and uh, you know, this, is, this is as much terrorism as any other act of terrorism. That is so true. It is. So don't stop going to the movies. You know, the, what makes the movies great, what makes cinema great, we forget, is not just the art of the movie itself. If there's no one to watch it, there's no cinema. If it's just a movie being projected on a screen somewhere in a house or in a dark room with no one watching it, it's not cinema. You need to have strangers sitting in the dark together is sharing that experience for it to really be what cinema was designed to be. And um, don't lose that part of it. You know, you, when you participate in the watching of the movie... You are 50% of the equation. That's true. And don't forget, you know, the movie still made $160 million. Yeah. So I think that a very, very, very small amount of people actually said, you know what, I'm scared for myself, I'm scared for my family, I'm not going to go to the movies. I think that wound up being a very, very small percentage. Absolutely. Which and, is and the way it should be. Absolutely. And, and frankly, you know, it's like after 9-11. I mean, there was no safer time to fly than once the planes got back in the air after 9-11. And I don't think there's any safer time to go to the movies than right now. Although I'll, I'll tell you this, I... I, uh, I flew to New York on October 11th. Mm-hmm. I, went to, I, I got to New York one month to the day after 9-11. And it really is true. Like when you, when I, when, when I was sitting in the airport terminal on, it was October 10th, an overnight flight that would, that would arrive on October yeah. 11th, 2001. Uh, you really did look at people and you were like, what's he wearing? He's got a, I don't like, I don't like his hair. What's he all about? Yeah. You really did think that. 
But uh, you really can't do that in movie theaters, though. It's, no. it's ridiculous. It's a, it's a joy, the thing is that movies are a joyful experience. Flying is not a joyful experience. Flying is a chore. The, the thing that, that saddens me, you and I were uh, fortunate enough to see the film several days earlier. What did we see? Wednesday? Was it Wednesday? Tuesday. Uh, it, was Tuesday. it was Tuesday. It was Tuesday. It was Tuesday. So we saw it three days earlier. And, um, you know, we went in and we saw it. And it was, it was The Dark Knight Rises. It was the end of the trilogy. And I think now... Uh, most people who are going to see the movie now are seeing it in the wake of the tragedy, and they're going to re- and they're going to see the film through that prism. And with time, that'll eventually fade. But I think that's unfortunate too. Is that it's it now the film is automatically tainted by that association. And you know, this isn't the first time. Look, I mean, movies, uh, violent actions being associated with movies is something that's been a part of the last you know. 30 years, ever since John Hinckley uh, tried to shoot Reagan and basically said it was, he was inspired by Taxi Driver, you know, the Columbine guys uh, paying tribute to the Matrix and on and on and on. Uh, you know, the, it, we could even go back to uh, the 70s, Clockwork Orange and the murders in, uh, in the UK. Um, but crazy people don't do crazy things because movies inspire them. They, uh, they're looking for an excuse and they're looking for something to give to polish off their uh, their twisted sense of uh, self-gratification and movies are as good as any an excuse uh that is true especially if you want to kill a lot of people you want to yeah. go where the people are and, and obviously this guy looked for he was obviously he's mentally Indeed. look he's obviously mentally ill nobody kills 12 people and is not mentally ill it's uh, impossible it's, uh, and so, could have been so much more could have been so many more yes. people and so obviously he was like he was uh, the, the the motive was his own mental stability yeah and the opportunity was presented by the movie. If Absolutely. it wasn't that movie, it would have been something else. So the moral to this is go out, see the movies, enjoy yourself, and, uh, and make friends. And, you know, have your children make friends. And just don't, don't let the crazy people change the world. Uh, Mark, you know what? We've, we've let television slide for a few weeks. We should, we should jump into uh, some television. Uh, we never let television slide, well, ever. There's never a week where we don't do television. We've let some television slide. The last couple of weeks has <laughs> okay. been a lot piling up, I'll tell that, you. That's fine. You know what? I'm going uh, to let you here. I'm, first of all, that new Sarah Polly film, uh, I went and saw it. Had to talk about that on the radio a few weeks ago. And uh, Sarah Silverman is in it, all of her, naked. And, uh, you know, Sarah Silverman has nothing to be ashamed of. But I just, I feel, Mark, I feel wrong now that I actually know what Sarah Silverman looks like in a state of undress. And I'm not sure why I feel wrong that way. Well, the thing is that there's one thing to say, oh, Sarah Silverman is an attractive woman, especially for stand-up. She's a very attractive. But that doesn't mean when you see them naked, it, it, there's still a sense of TMI. Yeah. You know, it, That's it. That's it. It's, maybe it's just comics shouldn't be naked. I don't want to see Louis C.K. naked. Very few. Um, you know what? I, I want to s- see Louis Black naked. I watch an episode of, uh, of Louis. Yeah. I've, I've seen a couple, and I, I like them. I think they're good. And uh, in this episode, Louis goes to the beach in Miami and takes yeah. his shirt off because he's yeah. swimming in the ocean. That's bad. News. I had no idea he was actually that fat. Oh, yeah. Because he he, he, it, it, the way the T-shirt wraps around his gigantic torso, yeah. he doesn't – he looks maybe a little yeah. a little zoptic, but he doesn't look huge. He <laughs> takes his shirt off in this episode. The man's gigantic. Well, that being said, as, mu- as much as it, it, I am now somewhat scarred by the knowledge of what Sarah Silverman looks like naked, um, we can talk about the Sarah Silverman program, the complete series. Seven DVDs, three seasons. Although uh, I don't like this. You know, this particular uh, uh, presentation is kind of lame because what they did was they just pretty much took the uh, – they took all the, you know, the, the, uh, the season DVDs and put them out onto one box set. I mean, there are three from Paramount, one from Shout. And they just, in Comedy Central, just wrapped them up in a box and That's just it. said, here it is. So they're not remastered. They're not remixed. They're no, really it's, nothing it's new. everything that was previously released inside an additional special bonus custom collector's edition um, cardboard box. Yes, that is true. Uh, bonus is. features, uh, you know, there's an interview with the, with the producers. Uh, there's the cast and crew at the 2007 Comic-Con, 2007 seeming about 400 years ago. And uh, there's the original pilot, which I always like, because you, you sort of get to compare the vision for the show at the outset versus where the show wound up. Uh, this is the complete series. This is 32 episodes. Um, there is some funny stuff in here. Brian Posehn, who I work with uh, on The Man Show, is uh, very funny here. And it's got a good cast. And obviously it's uh, got a lot of adult language and situations, so this is not, for, uh, this is not a, a kid show. But uh, it's definitely one for those who have a very twisted sense of humor. And you know who you are. You know, Mark, when Star Trek The Next Generation came out on DVD, 
It was a big deal. You remember the packaging? Those those oh, big the cust- worst. Oh, those big custom. No, I, I hated those silver, like weirdly, strangely opening things that folded open. I mean, it was Digipack, but it was like a custom Digipack that folded seven or eight or nine or twelve or fifteen times. And yeah, there's a name for that. It's called called GD annoying. <laughs> Those were horrible. Those big uh, silver things. Uh, And they were monstrosities, and they they came with a ton of discs, and uh, they were very, very difficult to navigate. Truly, it it was as if you wanted to just access one disc from a season to put that into your your DVD player. In order to actually find that disc, you needed to pretty much have the full floor space of a high school gymnasium to roll this thing open on to track that disc down. I, you know, there, there was a time, and the, the, the same thing goes for the early seasons of the Simpsons DVD, when the plastic was molded into the shapes of the heads of oh, the characters. that was the worst. Where it's just terrible. Stop it. Well, Star Trek The Next Generation now uh, is beginning to be released on Blu-ray. Yay. We have season one here on Blu-ray. Boo. <laughs> season one was lame. Great Blu-ray presentation, great audio, great video, great extras. Season itself, lame. It's, uh... It's a perfectly ordinary Blu-ray keep case, multi-disc keep case. So they've obviously thrown the towel in on uh, any kind of crazy presentation. Um, but that being said, they, they've also really kind of tried to burnish this thing. Now, uh, I find the 1080p here a little bit lacking. And I think it's because this show was not shot HD. This was, this was, this, you know, this was at least it was not shot widescreen. Well, that's true. But you know, it, like later shows were show, this was this is still one three three. Yeah, but if you look at like you know Data's makeup, there's like a bit of shine to his facial makeup that you didn't really see when you saw it on TV. Yeah, it. it and they also is, redid all the all the graphics. They redid the graphics. Everything was has been redone and polished. And while it's it's perfectly fine, and I'm not opposed to this, and certainly it's preferable to in almost every conceivable way to watching it in in SD. I mean, if you put the SD in. And you watch that on, you know, even upconverted on an HD set with your through your Blu-ray player. This still looks better and is more enjoyable, and the sound is better. It's a lot better. The sound is a lot richer. They they really it's lossless too. Lossless beautiful, audio. Really great audio. Like the audio is is really the most compelling thing about this. But still, I don't know that, that polishing this up the way they did was necessarily the best thing to do. What you on your mind? No, maybe. But uh, it's anyway. great. I mean, the, the here's the thing, and this. Season one Blu-ray looks great. Imagine yeah. successive seasons when now you're getting into the early 90s, a little yeah. bit into the mid-90s. Well, we were joking before that, uh, you know, after we get this first season out of the way, Riker gets a beard, everybody else gets collars, and Wesley Crusher uh, gets lost, and then we're, we're good. Now we got a show. Now we got a show. Uh, so uh, that's kind of how it is. But, you know, you, you have tons and tons and tons of new material on here. So this isn't just completely, this isn't just kind of cleaning up the episodes and then pumping it out onto Blu-ray with uh, all the same previous extras. Lots of new interviews and new featurette stuff. Uh, nothing really earth-shattering. It's just new for the sake of being new. And, um, you know, you you kind of get a little bit of a sense of nostalgia here that you didn't necessarily get the first time around because uh, it's a lot, it, it's been a while. And um, I don't know that these season one and part of season two episodes even really hold up. I know that successive seasons hold up a lot. Yes, but I they think do. that the early ones don't really hold up. Uh, you know, they did a bunch of episodes that were based on episodes of the previous series. <laughs> we were like, joking about that, like the Naked Now, like the Naked Now. We were making a joke about that. The gamesters of Quad Skellion. <laughs> exactly. Uh, it was just. Let uh, this be your last. Warfield, but don't forget to really every almost every except for the all original our, all our day before yesterday. No, no, it's uh, 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 for the world is hollow and I have touched the ground. There you go. Pretty much every <laughs> every except for the original series, every Star Trek incarnation was always better. The less Roddenberry had to do with it, it it's it, it started, kind of true. It started to get to that point. Yeah, it really did. Because, you know, like, Roddenberry's like, oh, you know, nobody argues in the future. So, the, <laughs> so like, okay, what's the conflict? The conflict can't just be with the aliens. He, he, you have to have conflict amongst the crew. He did, he did sort of start to get a little bit too obsessed with the philosophical meanderings of what the future will really be as opposed to just let the stories kind of you know play what? themselves and, out. And him and his, him, you know, thank God he never that's got— that's why they, they changed the uniforms in Star Trek The Motion Picture. He said, no, you know, in the future you're not really going to be weaving suits. They're going to look like they're sprayed on. <laughs> 
That's like, ridiculous. We're going to spray our clothing on. That's just how. I mean, he had his little obsessions. Yes, he did. Uh, Touched by an Angel, the fifth season. I know. All of you who've been sitting on that fourth season for the longest time from Paramount, you've been thinking, uh, what am I going to do? The fifth season isn't out. And, uh, well, here it is. Uh, you can be appeased. The fifth season of this long-running and, uh, in my opinion, well, sweet but overrated show because it's all pretty much the same every episode. Somebody's got a problem, and uh, the Angels uh, got to somehow set things right in the world. Uh, it's a very sweet show. A lot of people watch this with their kids. It's family-friendly. You know, there's, there's no nudity or shooting or no, you know, uh, law and order uh, sexual molestation and all that horrible dark stuff. There's no, nothing like none of those TNT shows. Where it's just, uh, you know, TNT really, those shows push the envelope. They really do. You, well, the thing is that T, they have to because they, they, have, they, they can't be exactly what HBO and Showtime shows are. But there's yet, language on yet there. Yet they you can't know? be as pablum as the network shows are. But, you know, it's, it's commercial television. It's, it's theoretically uh, under the auspices of the FCC in many respects. And yet they swear on those shows like, well, you know, they swear like a word. Like hell. They, like a word they would say on those shows. Anyway, uh, so here's the fifth season. It's perfectly acceptable. It's not earth-shattering in any degree. There's no extras. It's just Roma Downey and and uh, Della Reese and you know the the, the usual crew just uh, doing their doing their thing. Lame. The end. Um, Boss is a Stars original show starring Kelsey Grammer as the uh, mayor of Chicago, and uh, his name is Kane. Not to be confused with Citizen Kane, and uh, he's obviously uh, running a corrupt city, and his daughter's on drugs, and his wife uh, you know, hates him, and all that sort of stuff. So, I, you know, th- those who uh, think that Kelsey Grammer is all about Cheers will be very surprised at how good he is here on this show. In fact, uh, he won a Golden Globe for his performance in the show, and Boss uh, Season 1 is now on Blu-ray. This is a uh, good-looking show. It's uh, very bright colors and dark black, so it looks very good. Obviously, this is a brand new show. You know, the uh, I'm, pilot, I'm, the pilot was directed by Gus Van Zandt. I'm thrilled that he, <clears throat> excuse me, I am thrilled that Kelsey has like a, a whole new show and a new persona, and because you know he did Frasier forever, not just on Frasier, but on Cheers and then Frasier. I mean, it's like he lived that character for b- more years than than anything he will ever do ever again. And, 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 uh, he's an, and he becomes synonymous with that. So you yeah. have to give him, uh, you have to applaud him for wanting to, to, uh, to do a one eighty. And a really nice guy. You know, he opened the uh, he, he he was he opened the car door for my wife. He did. Yeah, because he probably wanted to hit on her. No, no, we were we were coming out of Chipotle, and uh, they were parked next to us, and we, we were getting takeout, and they were getting takeout, and he was just incredibly nice and a total gentleman. And after that, uh, my wife's like, you know what? I'm a fan. Right then and there. He was like he was like some kind of uh, chivalrous uh, knight in shining armor type guy. You know why he's he he he, he has a show to plug. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's why. true. Anyway, so boss is really not bad. In season one, it looks good, sounds good. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's a good show. Uh, Bonanza, the official third season value pack, Mark. The official third season value pack. Oh, this, this is, is terrible. Who, who, who's going to buy this? Uh, you know what? This is this is another Paramount thing, and this is they're finally getting. The message about these, uh, you know, part one and part two of various seasons, and what this, I find this interesting because it's basically the third season, part one and part two, all wrapped up in one complete, uh, complete deal. And this is interesting to me because clearly, the message got through. This isn't just a marketing thing. It is people are pissed off about having to buy seasons in halves. And uh, good for you, even though you should have just put this out into one complete set and not have it eat two halves in one shrink-wrapped uh, thing. Good. Good for you. You, you got the message. Um, you know, that being said, look, third season of Bonanza, it's, a, it's great television. And uh, I think some of the earlier seasons of Bonanza really are still among the best. Uh, it feels fresh. It feels big. It feels epic in a way that a lot of television today just does not. It's shot on film, and it's colorful, and you really, you know, look, people ride horses. And doggone it, I really like Haas. But uh, as, a, as a stand-up comic said uh, some time back, which I find to be true, uh, the premise of the show with Lauren Green, this is a guy who has three sons, all of them by different women, and they all die. Um, this guy's the kiss of death. He really is. He's like, <laughs> you, and, and plus why would you want? Why would you want to marry this guy? Well, You're gonna all, die. First of all, he's ugly. He's Lauren Green. Does he kill them and bury them somewhere in the Ponderosa? That'd be awesome. Are they? Is that like the? Is that the the new Ponderosa? Like yes. Dallas? We're gonna resurrect it and find out that uh, Paul Cartwright was some kind of a weird, 
like wife killing psychopath and that their bodies are yeah that's what's going to happen isn't it i feel a movie yep. a movie will happen i'm totally into it i'll write it oh you know what i'm not into there's two shows on sci-fi that uh, I just never really got into, although people do love it. One is Eureka, and the other is Alphas. The reason why, actually, the only reason why I can recommend these shows is because each one features two terrific movie character actors, and I'm glad they're getting work. One is uh, Joe Morton, who uh, appears in Eureka, season five, on uh, Blu-ray, and the uh, second one is David Strathairn, who is in uh, season one of Alphas, and which is on DVD also. Eureka uh, is actually canceled. There was a rumor that they were going to go for a shortened sixth season, but actually they're canceling after five. And this scene kind of limped along. It had, it had a bit of a cult following. And, uh, you know, they did a whole bunch of episodes. It premiered in 2006. And it's about this crazy town where, you know, accidental or maybe sometimes intentional mischief happens. And uh, it's very creative, and it's got a fun little sense of humor but I just felt uh, it never came together from a character standpoint I can see maybe someday you throw these guys 25 million dollars and make a movie they see what happens almost like uh, what Joss Whedon did with Firefly but as for Eureka season 5 A it's not on Blu-ray so forget that but also not a big fan of the show Um, Alphas is definitely more um, network quality in terms of how it uh, how it looks and it's all about these uh, extraordinary people named Alphas they have like these quirks in their brain that gives them superhuman powers superhuman powers so it's a bit superhero-ish although really it's uh it, they're just sort of like regular people that happen to have crazy things they can do um this season one uh dvd contains deleted scenes a panel discussion from comic-con 2011 and uh a extended version of the premiere this show really isn't that bad again it's it's network quality it's got a decent cast wade you will love the fact that even Lindsay Wagner appeared in season one. Oh yeah, and Brent Spiner also appeared in season one. He's a, he's a friend of uh, producer Mike's. I still uh, haven't figured out how that works. Uh, no, because Mike's fiance, Cat. Yes, uh, she appears in a uh, on on an original. Are they formally engaged? Yes, they are. Yes. Okay, good. She appears on. How a, long has that been? Uh, like two months or something. Oh, good. She appears on an original internet show that he stars in. Okay. So that's why she knows him. Got it. So now it's all they the all know each other. It's all in the family. All in the family. All in the family. Anyway, okay. uh, Alpha's better than Eureka. Uh, the Glades is an A&E show that uh, has somehow lasted two seasons. I don't really know how this thing has lasted two seasons. It's about this uh, Chicago detective, and he goes to uh, you know South Florida. Now he's, uh, he uses his uh, tough guy uh, sarcastic humor to uh, deal with uh, all the crazy people in Florida. Um you know, this is just another one of those fish-out-of-water sort of uh, shows where, you know, a guy's used to doing things one way, and then he goes to another town, and he's got to do things uh, another way, and there's a lot of conflict. And and I just uh, I just think this show is kind of silly. I, I From what I saw of it, I was really not engaged with the characters. It seemed very formulaic, and uh, I'm not a big fan. So if you like this, uh, if you like the show, though, season two is uh, on DVD. It includes a couple of uh, deleted scenes, a couple of featurettes, four discs, 13 episodes, and uh, there you go, the Glades. Fantabulastic. Uh, also from Paramount, as long as they're uh, releasing halves of shows in the same day, we've got uh, The Untouchables, Season 4, Volumes 1 and 2, both being released right now. Now, they did not send this to us in a value pack, so I'm going to assume that you can get them separately or as a single pack. I don't know why anyone would ever get them separately. Really, I, I, I think they're you know just nuts to, to still keep packaging them this way, but at least they're releasing them on the same day. And The Untouchables, of course, stars uh, Robert Stack as Elliot Ness, the character that uh, Kevin Costner would later play. When are they coming out with the Blu-ray of of the movie? I don't know. Come on, the movie's great. That's the Chicago way. Oh, it's great. Uh, Well, anyway, this was was not such a bad series, and, you know, based on uh, Ness's own writings and memoirs. And, uh, you know, I think it stretches a little bit. By the time you get to season four, you you, you kind of get the drill, and you know where it's going, and you realize it's... uh, going to pretty much be the same thing every week but um it continued to be a very high quality show with a great cast well made and uh you know what it's uh it's just one of those shows from the early 60s that uh, that kind of still resonates a little bit i think maybe more it's a cool today. show it is a cool show it is a cool, it's, it's 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 kind of held up i mean it, nowadays you know with again with, with cable and and uh and, and pay tv the the language 
and I just don't mean verbal language. The language used to tell these sorts of stories has really increased. You have more violence. Very true. Way more edgy. So Untouchables has none of that. But just from a storytelling standpoint, and just like from a cool, almost noir-y standpoint, yeah. it's a good show. We also have a couple of sitcoms from uh, co- uh, the collaboration between Shout Factory and Sony. Sony basically uh, has these Columbia shows that you know are vintage sitcoms, and they don't really want to do anything with them, so they let Shout Factory go out with them. Uh, different Strokes. And Designing Women. This is the final season of Designing Women and the third season of Different Strokes. Uh, let me talk for a second about Different Strokes. Man, this, this I can't laugh. First of all, I never laughed at this show to begin with. I always thought it was just horrible. I, it was just the most embarrassing comedy ever where you watch it and you're embarrassed for the actors that they have to say and do the things that they're doing. And, I used to watch that show. But it was embarrassing, it's wasn't it? It's pretty terrible. It, you, yeah, just, you, you get goosebumps and your hair stands on end. It and doesn't you feel, hold up. You feel like, like they're standing naked in public and you're standing naked with them. It's, oh, it's a Okay, hor- let's end. It's an awful feeling. Relax there. But, but uh, what a, I can't, I, even beyond all that, I just can't laugh at this show because it's just such a tragic train wreck. You just look at that and you go, okay, Dana Plato, that is, a, that is just a horrible life catastrophe that she went through. I mean, from starring on a show to then just being like this homeless single mom on drugs trying to hold up liquor stores and then eventually dying. It's just, are you kidding me? I mean, that's just, that is just a life implosion. Well, it's funny, uh, uh, tomorrow... And then, you know, Gary Coleman, for crying out loud. I mean, he was almost broke as well, and that was just a horrible... Rel- I mean, it's just like this show is cursed, and Todd Bridges with his problems, at least well, he's still uh, alive. Tomorrow, I'm meeting, um, I'm going to meet Joey Lawrence. Yeah. And Joey Lawrence is a child actor who, I know. who made it through. I mean, the guy yeah. who was on Dancing with the Stars Give a me couple a break. seasons. Give me a break. But he was on, I mean, he's still vibrant. Yes, he he's, is. He's on Dancing with the Stars. He's. It's because he was, he was not on this show. He, that's correct. So anyway, this is the third season, and uh, this thing ran for eight seasons. So we got five more uh, seasons to come, which means five more shows where I will talk about how depressing this show is. Uh, the final season of uh, Designing Women, of course, uh, features Jan Hooks, who stepped into that cast at, uh, at a late stage, along with Judith Ivy, who also stepped into the cast uh, later on. And uh, it's not better off for it. I, I, I like Jan Hooks and uh, Judith Ivy just fine, but by the time you're, you're plugging and playing different actresses in this cast, and the only original cast members are Annie Potts and, and Dixie Carter, it's, it's kind of depressing. So uh, if you're a completist, by all means, get it. But there's you know, no extras on here and nothing that makes this uh, compelling on its own. It's just strictly for completists. And that being said, y- you're probably going to get a complete, set, a complete series box set for the, uh, for the holidays this year anyway. So, you know, make that factor all of that into your decision. Yeah, Wade. And then lastly, as far as the, uh, the vintage shows in this little streak go, uh, we have a thing from Warner Brothers called Harry O, the complete first season. A lot of people don't know who David Jansen is, was, uh, ever will be, or why they should care. But you know what? Harry O was a pretty cool detective show back in its day. And uh, I, uh, I had not been a really big fan of it at the time. This ran uh, in the, 19, the early 1970s. And, uh, you know, it just felt like another one of those uh, gr- grungy, you know, scruffy detective shows that there were so bu- a whole bunch of them. Like, it felt like a, another Mannix and I thought, well, you know, we already have a Mannix, and you know, it looks like Mannix crossed with Kojak or something. And I was more into Starskin Hutch. You know, guys were a little more cool. They wore tennis shoes. They ran. They, you know, a little more active. Beretta, uh, who would eventually go on to kill his wife. Uh, but you know, you look at this in retrospect, and David Jansen is a hell of an actor. Uh, I mean, he really is. He's just one of those Steve McQueeny kind of grizzled guys who just makes it so real. And I kind of feel gypped that I didn't experience this show at the time. Um, so anyway, this is six discs, twenty-two episodes. From the first season, and uh, you know who who shows up here? Uh, I mean, it's it's a great cavalcade of guest stars, like all just classic '70s people: Martin Sheen, you know, real real young Cab Calloway before he died. But uh, you know who one of the one of the uh, one of the baddies is here? As opposed to Cab Calloway after he died? Yes, exactly. Uh, Anthony Zerby. Yo, Anthony Zerby, that guy has been around forever. My God, he won't die. Hey, I'm gonna say, I'm, 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 I'm gonna wicked that guy right now. IMDb Anthony. No, Not was only was Anthony Zerby in the Omega Man, which is the first time I remember Anthony Zerby in the Omega Man. Yeah, but he's also one of the Star Trek films. He was born in. Ni- he was born in. Um, How do you ni- like 1930s? 1936. Yeah. So what does that make him? That makes him like you know thousand years old, seventy six or something. Does he have a Wikipedia page? Yes, he does. Uh, he is seventy six years old. Uh, you know what? Actually, the seventy nowadays the seventy six. He's he's got stuff. He's got stuff uh, left in him. Look, he, he was he was at the Matrix Reload. He was in the last two Matrix films. 
Like every time you see him, you just think B movie cheese. <laughs> it's almost like seeing John Gavin in a movie. When you saw John Gavin in a movie, you knew it was just lame. Uh, yeah. Like he's just B movie. Wings Hauser. Oh, he is the worst. <laughs> Wings Hauser. But Wings Hauser never really had much of a career. No. Whereas Anthony Zerby, I mean, you know, in the six in the seventies and whatever sixties, he did a lot of great work. But uh, anyway, he was in Naked City and yeah, did a lot of great TV. Big Valley, Route 66, It Takes a Thief, Hawaii Five-0, Kung Fu. He was one of those guys, Little House on the Prairie. Anyway, why are we talking about Anthony Zerby? I don't know, because we love him. Who, who, who's talking now, Wade? Uh, it's your turn. You can... You can uh, uh, okay, you I'm... Can in, you can indulge your talk show expertise. Well, I'm not going to do that. What I will do is uh, I will say that a must-rent, if not a must-buy, well, you, can, you can just rent it. I think renting it is fine is Johnny Carson, King of Late Night. This is a, a PBS special where uh, the filmmakers got unprecedented access to uh, Johnny's uh, friends and family and personal archives. And uh, Johnny Carson, obviously, was the uh, Tonight Show host for uh, 30 years, over 4,500 shows. He hosted the Tonight Show for 4,531 shows. Wait. That's amazing. It now, really is. N- n- now, you know, I, I, it's really hard for people who are younger, it's hard to give a parallel to the influence and the longevity of Johnny Carson. The fact is, is that in a, in, in for a, a good chunk of his tenure, from 1962 to 1992, he was on every weeknight. I mean, literally, people I, would I, go I to bed w- watching his monologue. Uh, Carson was, I mean, I, he, he became an icon of everyone's life. And it wasn't just the show. It was who he was just in general. He, he, was, he was kind of like... He let he let steam out of our consciences. You know what I mean? It was it, he modulated the public discussion, whatever the, the topic, because he was really the first guy to take the topics of the news and really just shred it. I mean, even before the news on Saturday Night Live or even most other topical comics, he he did it in a way that the average person. You certainly had people like Carlin and others who were doing it in a very counterculture way, but Johnny Carson was the first person that said, "Don't take these guys so seriously." Well, also as as a talk show host. As a talk show interviewer, yeah, you know nobody did it like him because he he did the one thing that talk show hosts refuse to do, which is they have to realize that if the guest looks good, they look good too. Yeah, most talk show hosts, and a lot of times it's that way because they're comics because they're stand-up yeah. comics who become talk like Roseanne was a talk show host, yeah. and, you know, Ellen was a, is a talk show host, Rosie O'Donnell a talk show host. A lot yeah. of these guys are former comics. Comics think it's all about them. Yeah, their stand-up act, their one-man show, and so they just wanted—they yeah. want to be the one to get the joke in. Yep. But what Carson realized is that is that his job was to make the guest look good, yep. and if the guest looks good, he looks good. True. And that's what these—that's what, including Leno. I mean, Leno's the worst. You know, Leno's not a very good interviewer. No, not at but all. But Carson was a great talk show interviewer. He did it the right way and did it for a long time. And it is hard to imagine how influential he was. And uh, uh, Johnny Carson, King of Late Night. If you know Johnny Carson, is an indispensable. Look at uh, warts and all, by the way, because Johnny Carson yeah. was a kind of a womanizer. Oh. He was married four times. He cheated a lot. So as Wait, a, didn't they all have the same name? Weren't they all? Uh, there was yeah, a, a couple of them had the same name. Joanna. They were all Joanna. Like, yeah. Joanne. Joanna. Joanina. Yeah, jo- Joanine. The uh, the uh, Toto, Joan. The uh, Toto song Joanna is based yeah, on. Uh, exactly. No, it's not. No. Anyway, it's a great documentary. It really is. If you if you have any passing knowledge of, of Johnny Carson, you must watch it. We got a trio from the whole A and E uh, History Channel empire over here, and uh, these are all these reality shows that drive a lot of people crazy. And the first one is an A and E Volume Three set for Storage Wars. Oh, just stop it! Come on. You know, how about Garbage Dumpster Wars? How about just sto- homeless people who go through garbage dumpsters? <laughs> how, how, how about cubicle people? Just like a guy who sits in a cubicle at a car rental office and he just sits there and plays solitaire until someone comes in. That's it. That's a show. I mean, stop it. I mean, isn't it better just to repeat a good show than to put on a bad show like Storage Wars? Know, Will it end? Take it up. Take it up with A&E, not me. Exactly. Uh, storage Wars, basically, it's a show about people who sort of, um, you know, they, every once in a while there are these storage uh, compartments at storage facilities, which they just auction off the stuff. Because, Sounds like a show. Yeah. So these are people who basically make their, their living doing eBay type stuff. They, they go, you know, they bid on what's in these storage containers and uh, it's all it's a bunch of junk. You know, they're, they're basically it's Sanford Arms. What do you want? Uh, it has a following. I don't really understand why, but there it is. Uh, American Pickers, Volume 3. Stop it. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> You know what I do? This is what I do for a living. I wash dishes. And, uh, I sit there. You know what? People give me their grimed up uh, uh, <laughs> d- dishes, and I clean them. 
and I got a show now. <laughs> Well, twelve this, episodes. This is more one hour each. One hour, twelve episodes. This is kind of. I sit there and I wash dishes. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes some of the dishes I wash. Sometimes it's like a lot of caked in grime. Like they ate the food and then they sat for an hour and they just sort of chatted and the food was kind of caked in on the on the plate. That takes a while. That's that's dramatic. I remember a couple episodes of the show. There was actually a, there was actually a two part episode where at the end of the first part they would give me a plate that had like lasagna really baked in on it and then they would say coming up next time. On dishwashers, you'll see whether I can get all the lasagna out. It's exciting. It's exciting stuff, man. You, you realize that's going to happen, and you're going to have to sue them. And this show will become evidence in court. It'll become court's evidence. Uh, American Pickers, basically the same deal. Uh, you know, there's just all kinds of junk, except it's rural junk as opposed to urban junk. And, uh, you know, they, these pick, people pick through barns and uh, junk piles and whatever else. It, it, look, I, it, I, you know, don't blame, don't shoot the messenger. Uh, slightly more engaging is uh, the latest season of IRT on DVD, IRT Deadliest Roads Season 2, The Andes. Uh, this kind of takes off from the whole dirtiest jobs thing that they've been doing, which is uh, let's go and explore the strange things that people do, not dishwashing. And you know what? If you drive these trucks, you're crazy. I'm sure they get paid really well. Uh, but th- at this point, it's just you look at this and you think, really, truly, if, if, you ha- if that's the only way that you can get this stuff from point A to point B, then make the people that you're delivering to, make them move. Just make them move. They need to go to where the, uh, the stuff is. You, you don't need to be bringing the stuff to them. It's just too dangerous and it's crazy. And uh, it really kind of brings home how many parts of the world, uh, how many places in the world really badly need better roads. I'm just saying. Wade, uh, we're really hitting the dregs of, uh, of TV time here. We have uh, the fourth season of um, Sanctuary. Now, Sanctuary... Is one of those weird inbred like 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 Dr Pepper black licorice shows. It's like seem like a real thing, but actually it's not. And that can only mean one thing, Wade, that the show is from Canada. Uh huh. That explains why it just it's it feels like it feels like actual television minus one chromosome. There's like one chromosome missing that would keep this from looking like actual television. It's Canadian. Uh, anyway, it's about this. Uh, it's, it takes place in the year uh, whatever six thousand or something, and there's this uh, very uh, hot because uh, you know people are still hot in the future. People, people in the future, they are all hot and attractive. They're all handsome guys and they're all beautiful brunettes. That's how it works in the future. Yep. Uh, there's this doctor, and she uh, her job is to uh, is to sort of collect or gather uh, together all of these people who are uh, have strange abilities and powers in all these different areas and different planets. And she runs uh, an organization called Sanctuary that gets them all together. And uh, that's what this is about. This show's terrible. You know what? I just, I don't blame sci-fi for wanting to, like, just make a cheap buy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a Canadian show. We can get 12 episodes for X number of dollars per episode and throw it out there see what happens. I, I don't blame them for doing that. But, like, half of their primetime lineup is these Canadian shows. I just don't get it. Anyway, the, uh, there's a couple of bonus, uh, there's a couple of, uh, bonus features here, making a featurettes, audio commentary. This, uh, it's a good-looking show, not as good-looking as some of their American counterparts. Um, but uh, there you go, Sanctuary Season 4. Also, we have the um, kind of cutesy Leverage Season 4. This is on TNT. I, um, I kind of like this show only because I like when they kind of get into, like, how they do the con. I always kind of always like that kind of stuff. I mean, I, it, this is not exactly the sting, but I kind of like the Mission impossible figuring out of what the, what the plan is going to be. Mm-hmm. And, of course, it gives Timothy Hutton work, and he can't beat that. So leverage, not so bad. Special Love Timothy Hutton. Yeah, that's true. Special features include uh, on this DVD, not Blu-ray, behind-the-scenes uh, crap, deleted scenes, gag reel, writer's room. There's a, a featurette on the writer's room, which is kind of interesting. Groovy. You don't see that kind of stuff on uh, no, DVDs, writer's not room. not at all. Not at all. Got a couple of sitcoms here. Uh, real quickly. Hey, Wade. Yeah. How much stuff can you talk about while I get my laundry? Oh, I'll do my best. Do okay. it. You do it. I'm going to get my laundry. You do that. Okay, here we go. You do that. Here we go. Okay, Mark's getting his laundry. So By I'm the way, bur- I really am getting my laundry. Such a professional show. Uh, Tyler Perry's Meet the Browns, season six, episodes 101 through 120. I don't know why they do that. I don't know. We, we've joked about this before, that they they give you the numbers of the episodes as if anyone out there is saying, uh, oh, I don't remember what season it was, but I do remember it was episode 107. 
So that must mean it was in season six. I, I come on, people, really. It's just it's a very strange thing to do. But uh, anyway, Lionsgate's out there. This uh, three disc set with uh, no special features whatsoever, except just the sixth season of Tyler Perry's Meet the Browns, which is an incredibly me- mediocre show with you know a so-so cast. So you know, don't expect anything to change after the first five seasons. We also have a, uh, a terrific combo pack: Blu-ray, DVD, and Ultraviolet for the complete first season and the complete second season of The Big Bang Theory. Big Bang Theory obviously has really struck a chord. This has been... Um, Lame. You don't like the Big Bang Theory? No. Okay, Mark doesn't like the Big Bang Theory. Uh, you know, the idea, it's sort of like Three's Company with uh, tech nerds. And I, I, that's really the only way to describe it. And uh, nerds seem to respond to the show. I find it um, interestingly well-written to some degree. It certainly has Chuck Lorre's uh, fingers all over it. It, feel, it has that... You know, two and a half menny kind of thing going. It's uh, except it's missing a certain ingredient of cool. You know what people don't realize huh. is that I know that that like nerds have taken over the earth. By the way, I got my laundry. I know that uh, people think that nerds have taken over the earth with Comic Con and whatnot. But you know what the tragedy is? Huh. When we were growing up, yeah. If you were a nerd, you got beaten up. Yeah. Being a nerd was not cool. Being a nerd got you beaten up, got you ostracized. You were a loner, couldn't get girls. That's yeah. what a nerd was. I know. Back when like nerd culture was first like born. Yeah. Now if you're a nerd, you're like the coolest guy ever. People cater to your needs and wants. Strange. Well, anyway, Big Bang Theory, first couple of seasons now on combo packs. Uh, you know what? No, no overriding reason for this to be on Blu-ray per se. I mean, it looks fine, but uh, if you're watching it on DVD, you're not necessarily going to need to upgrade. It's. Uh, it's a three-camera sitcom for crying out loud. It's not that substantially better on Blu-ray that uh, you know, unless you get it at a bargain price, is going to make much of a difference. Uh, Father Dowling Mysteries, the second season. Uh, nobody remembers this show. Tom it Bosley. Was, yeah, Tom Bosley, uh, along with Tracy Nelson, who is the nun. You know, Tracy but, Morgan's the nun. Tracy Nelson, who of course is you know uh, Ricky Nelson's daughter. She was. Uh, <sighs> what happened to her? She's gone nowhere. Anyway. Uh, but you know what? It's a, it's a decent show. It's a, it's kind of in that whodunit thing that was going uh, going on in the uh, '80s and '90s, and it, very much around Murder She Wrote. And there were a few other shows that were kind of you know whodunit procedurals in that English style, except they were done CBS style, and they were all sort of for older audiences. And this is one of them. And it's uh, no different than the others. You got some promos on here from the original uh, season itself, the second season, but nothing else. So Father Dowling Mysteries, if you're kind of a buff for procedurals, you can you, you know, check it out, but it's, it's nothing special. Uh, Wade, a show that I really want to like but somehow I can't is uh, Falling Skies. This is from executive producer Steven Spielberg, which means that he probably read one draft of the pilot and then said, where's my money, and he's never seen it since. Probably what that means. Yep. Uh, this is a uh, show. It's on TNT. It, uh, it's a DreamWorks production, hence the uh, Spielberg connection. And uh, Noah Wiley stars as a, uh, this uh, professor who, who joins like the Massachusetts militia, which are a group of citizens and freedom fighters who are uh, fleeing an alien attack in Boston. Uh, it's very well shot. It's a good-looking show. And it's got some uh, very exciting... Uh, you know passages to it and uh, so it's entertaining it's sort of limped along it hasn't really been doing all that well but it did wind up getting a second season which I'm kind of surprised at but um, anyway it's uh, it's good it's, it's you know it's, it's, it's really not bad if you like dystopian sci-fi and of course Wade and I like grew up on dystopian like post-apocalyptic sci-fi we love this stuff uh, it's not bad there's better stuff it's, it's, it's not bad um, so there are some good uh, special features on this, including a couple that are exclusive to the Blu-ray, specifically something about the Dark Horse comic that uh, this thing is based on. And mm. uh, so anyway, it's, it's good stuff. You know what? It's um, uh, One of the screenwriters is Robert Rodat, who wrote uh, Saving Private Ryan, and Graham Yost, of course, who wrote Speed. Uh, so there's good people behind it. I don't know that they're doing their best work here, but uh, the show definitely has moments. And No Wiley's definitely fine, although I think they could have used like more of a movie star lead actor as opposed to like No Wiley. But anyway, it's uh, it's kind of a mixed bag, but it's not that bad. Um, you know, we're t- we were talking about sci-fi stuff before, and we have yet another sci-fi show that just will not go away. Warehouse Thirteen. This is another sci-fi show that you're kind of like, you know, does anyone really watch this? Does anyone really go, oh my god, it's Warehouse Thirteen? I love you. Oh my god, it's Eureka. I love you. I just don't know that there's people like that in the world. No. No. Not anyway, really. it's kind of a, a dramatic comedy. It's um, 
It stars uh, it stars that guy from Unforgiven who's been in everything. You know uh, what's his name? Uh, 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 Saul Rubinek. Oh, Saul, Saul Rubinek oh has been in everything. He was even in Star Trek: The Next Generation. Yes, he was. Yes, he's super cool. Yeah. Actually, he's not super cool. He's kind of annoying. And uh, he kind of, and he he essentially plays uh, Joel Silver in uh, in um, Star Wars. No, in in uh, Star Wars, the Tarantino thing. Jackie Brown. No, no, no. The one that the one, the Tony Scott Tarantino. Uh, Star Wars. Uh, 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 True uh, Romance. True Romance. Thank you. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, there's there's this, the, the premise of the show is that there's warehouse there's this uh, secret government warehouse called Warehouse 13 where and they sell art, tapes and uh, yeah CDs. supernatural like artifacts and, uh, and and you know and extraterrestrial crap is all stored. I, I used to buy records at the warehouse. So did I. <laughs> you know what the warehouse's uh, um, um, slogan was? The warehouse, wall to wall, fun for all. Licorice pizza. Was it licorice pizzas? No. I remember I used to I, go to Liquor's. I remember I went to the Liquor's Pizza on Wilshire and Westgate. I remember once. In fact, I still have this. Music I Plus. Stood, I believe in us for Music oh, Plus. They're all they're all bankrupt. They're all gone. I know. Tower Liquor's Pizza. None I left. I stood in line for uh, over an hour. Yeah. So that madness could sign my cassette tape. There you go. You know, madness, our house, in yeah. the middle of our street. You still have that? Yeah, I do actually. There you go. Awesome. Uh, a bunch of British television I'll blow through real quickly. The Inbetweeners, the complete series, which means it's only 18 episodes. About four guys in the UK, and they are raunchy, and they are uh, nerdy, and they go to high school. And uh, for some reason, this thing's been turned into a feature film. It's coming out in September, and meanwhile, you can go and you can watch all of their uh, their British baldiness in the complete series of The Inbetweeners. And uh, yeah, there it is. Uh, it, I, I, kinda, I mean, it's funny, but I don't know why it would be turned into a feature film. Uh, then we also have two more Blu-ray double sets of uh, the Sharp series, the uh, that uh, 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 Napoleonic era thing that stars Sean Bean as the uh, the great fighting man Sharp. Uh, we've got uh, Sharp's Honor and Sharp's Gold on one Blu-ray, and Sharp's Battle and Sharp's Sword on the other. Um, you know, certainly for the limited budget they had, they did a great recreation of uh, Napoleonic uh, clashes and intrigue and drama. Um, these things are, uh, you know, not beautifully shot, so it's there's a little bit lacking uh, that kind of pops out on the Blu-ray. But you know what? It's are worth there it. any movies? Yeah, why are we not movie. talking about movies? Because there's like no good movies this week. It's it's like a you you drew, you called weird... me on the way over here. Yeah, and you said uh, uh, you know there's a lot of great stuff this week. There is. We're not about... seeing it. Okay, sorry. Never mind. <laughs> Uh, M.R. James is casting the runes. Uh, this is from Acorn, and uh, you know what? If you've if you've read it, if you've read any of M.R. James's uh, fantasy tales, his his kind of fantasy horror stuff, you will be enthralled. If not, you won't know what the hell this is, and there's no point in talking about it. Uh, Midsummer Murders. My gosh, set twenty. Uh, you know what? Same damn thing. For the last 19, same damn thing. Uh, four more mysteries here, and uh, they're still good, but I, it just it blows my mind that this thing's been around for 20 years. Uh, people just must love the characters. I don't know. Midsummer Murders. I'm not going to say anything else about it because it's the same damn thing. And uh, George Gently, Series 4. This is another one of those uh, really cool British detective shows set in the 1960s. So there's a real cool groove to it. Real hip, man. Real, uh, real, real groovy. And uh, this is uh, Two Mysteries. And they are feature-length mysteries. And uh, that's always cool when they do that in the U.K. They, they give you, you know, they, they don't just do a one-hour mystery, and, uh, which really comes out about 52 minutes after you cut, or 48 minutes once you cut in commercials. No, these are like little movies, and they really uh, they pay attention to it, and we don't do that here. So if you're a fan of George Gently, uh, that's a good one. That's Series 4. All right, Mark, that's it for television. Yay. Done, done. Let's do so, movies. All right, movies. I uh, like movies. You know what? Um, I'm telling you, Mark, it's a slow week for movies. We got uh, Institute Benjamenta here. See what I mean? I'm telling you. you, you don't asked start for with it. that. You asked it. Well, I mean, it's the Brothers Quay, or the Brothers K, or however you pronounce it. Uh, Brothers Quay are uh, a couple of twins who make really weird movies. They're kind of like in the same wheelhouse as um, Guy Madden and David Lynch. Fair enough to say? I like them both. I like both Guy Madden and David Lynch, so uh, ergo... You like the Brothers Quay. Uh, they started off doing a lot of uh, funky animation, mostly influenced by Czech animation. And uh, they, they've, you know, then they took this 
to another level in 1995 with Institute Benjamenta. And uh, you know what? It's uh, it's weird and quirky and black and white and eccentric and disturbing and all of those things that you would normally expect from uh, all of the filmmakers that I just described. Probably a little bit of Cronenberg in there uh, you could throw in too. Uh, but uh, you know, it's it, there. It is. It's um, it's well, Terry Gilliam's a big fan of theirs. Actually, he's quoted on the on the packaging. Uh, he calls this the most be- visually beautiful and hauntingly humorous film I have seen in the last 300 years. Uh, that's Terry. 300? Yeah, that's what he says. That's what he says. Anyway, but you, you can tell that these guys basically come from an animation background because uh, everything is staged and shot and given that meticulous arrangement, the framing that you would have if you're an animator. You know, you want to control the frame to such a tremendous degree. Um, but, uh, you know, the, ultimately it's basically a really, really twisted, weird uh, melodrama. And uh, I don't really, you know, it, I'll tell you, it's going to creep you out. But that's from Zeitgeist. It comes in eco-packaging. Institute Benjamenta. There it is. Uh, Wade, uh, poor Elizabeth Olsen. First thing she does is she comes out with the uh, uh, breathtaking debut with Martha Marcy May Marlene. And then what's her next film? It's going to be good, right? Her next film's going to really go over the top. Yeah, no, really. it's Silent House. Yeah. Silent House is a uh, film by these uh, two directors. And uh, the deal with Silent House is that it was uh, supposedly all shot in one take. Now, it's a suspense film about this, uh, this girl who uh, is, is trapped inside her family's lake house. And uh, it's very ominous and crazy. Things are happening. Now, for me, when they say this is one take, I'm not sure this is like Russian arc, like one take. Because Russian arc is like one take. This, I am going to guarantee you, was done in multiple takes that were seamlessly edited together. Well, of course. With effects to make it look like one take. Sure. It was not one take. Guarantee it. Uh, film not very good. Uh, I, I mean, I guess it's a gimmick. If I were you, I would not watch this because I, we, want, we, we don't want to enable Elizabeth Olsen who looks like she could be the real thing, to do more movies like Silent House. Instead, you should rent Martha Marcy May Marlene. I agree. Is that better? Wade. We've got a uh, couple of criterions here. They yay. are, well, yay, yay, but, well. Boo? No, not boo. I mean, it's Whit Stillman, Mark. Eh, oh, his last movie was so bad. <laughs> you saw that, right? No, I didn't. I, 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 you went and saw it, and then you guys came out of it and were just so... Uh, you've got to be kidding me. Yeah, that, that was the reaction to it, and I, and I was like, okay, not going to go to see that one. Um, yeah, The Last Days of Disco and Metropolitan. Now, Metropolitan is a film that put him on the map, and it uh, got an Oscar nomination for screenplay, and everybody's like, oh, this guy's so, such a fresh new voice. Oh, he's amazing. This Wood Stillman guy. And then, uh, really, his movies have just kind of really never lived up to that ever since. Um, they're talky. They're talky. They're about yuppies who sit around, and they talk about intellectual and somewhat entertainingly uh, amusing things, and they, they toss around uh, clever little witticisms and use words that no one uses unless you've gone to an Ivy League school and uh, and learn to you know read scripts and it's it, I I don't know I never really totally connected with his style of writing it just feels too written too rehearsed too too hoity toity and that's a weird thing for me to say because normally I respond to that stuff anyway uh, Metropolitan's from 1990 and uh, it is a, a perfectly acceptable Blu-ray uh, these films are not uh, cinematic achievements on uh, a staggering visual level. So you're, they're really all about the dialogue, and uh, so you don't expect this to be sort of the, the shining Blu-ray in your collection. If you're a Metropolitan fan, you'll love it. If you're a Whit Stillman fan, you'll love it, but really this is when he peaked. Uh, extras are very threadbare on Metropolitan. They uh, include an audio commentary that's with uh, Stillman and his editor and a couple of the actors. Some outtakes also with commentary and uh, the obligatory essay. While you get a few more uh, extras on the last days of Disco, which I like... a uh, on some level, just because Kate Beckinsale is in it, and I really like, like Kate Beckinsale, but I still don't feel like Kate Beckinsale is, you know, wh- where she's the best thing in, a, in an otherwise mediocre movie. Um, I mean, I enjoy her, but I don't really enjoy anything else. We all enjoy Kate Beckinsale. We really right? do. Anyway, this also has... You realize that Kate Beckinsale is married to that, that tool director. I know. Len Wiseman. Who, and she's in all of his movies. Uh, including Total Recall. I know. It's just embarrassing. Anyway, also an audio commentary here with Stillman and a couple of the actors, including Chloe Savigny, some deleted scenes, again with commentary, featurette, uh, Stills Gallery, and, uh, you know, Wits reading from a book of his. Last Days of Disco is should have been so much better. It took place in the 1980s, uh, it kind of at the, literally in the last days of disco. But disco isn't really a, 
much of a factor in this thing. I mean, there's only stuff where Kate Beckinsale talks about, you know, people from the 70s. They don't dance. But otherwise, it's not like, I mean, really? Go watch Saturday Night Fever. His stuff is, it, you know, it's, so. just, it's just very twee and very mannered and very Upper East Side and not everybody's taste. Uh, not really mine. But there it is. It's, it, you know, it gets the Criterion treatment, which sort of validates it on some level, I guess. You know what else is not my taste? Break mm. with Stephen Dorff. Now, Stephen Dorff is a, kind of a big actor who every once in a while does something interesting, and you're like, wow, Stephen Dorff's going to put it together and start making real movies, and not then really. he doesn't. No. And it just doesn't happen. Uh, he, was in the, he was in Sofia Coppola's last film, which I liked. It's the best thing he'll ever do. Yeah, that was the best yeah. thing he'll ever do. Uh, Break is essentially a ripoff of Buried, and uh, here Stephen Dorff plays a, uh, he's a, he's a, he has a government agent who gets stuck in the trunk of a car. And all he's got is a awesome. CB radio. And this was directed by a TV guy named Gabe Torres. And you know what? When you direct a movie that's all about a guy in a car, it's, it's, it's hard because yeah. you've got to make it visually interesting to sit in a trunk of a car for X number of minutes. You've got to find different angles and different yeah, ways of, of the <laughs> yes. And the thing is, he hasn't really, uh, Torres doesn't necessarily do it. And what's even worse is that there's a whole bunch of twists at the end of the film. And when, and when these twists start piling one, to, one on top of the other, just the, everything that came before it starts losing credibility because yeah. the twist is just ridiculous. So this is uh, straight to Blu-ray sort of stuff. Um, there is some okay passages in it. I'm not saying it's a total wreck, but um, it's uh, ultimately not a good thriller. You're better off with Buried. Also, we have another bad movie called On the Inside. On the Inside has a good cast. Includes uh, Nick Stahl, Olivia Wilde, and uh, uh, the, the Iranian woman, Shorshi Agadijishbakar. Shorshi Agadashlu, because we I was on the uh, AFI Shorts jury with her. Exactly. Years ago. Lame. Years ago. Anyway, Nick Stahl. She's a lovely lady. I'm sure she is. Yeah. And a good actor. Yeah. Anyway, Alan Stahl, uh, Alan Stahl, uh, Nick Stahl uh, plays this uh, guy who's committed to, a, uh, to, to, to the loony bin because he's insane and he murdered somebody. And uh, while in the loony bin... He has to deal with uh, you know all sorts of people who are in there, and he's transferred to a security prison where he meets a beautiful like is like bipolar, like the hottest bipolar inmate yeah. you'll ever see yeah. in a, in a woman's prison. There you go. And uh, what they sort of do together, and uh, it's not very good. And I don't know why Livy Wilde's doing this film because she's kind of on the cusp. She can go either way. Livy Wilde can go either way. Uh, Cowboys and uh, Aliens didn't work out for mm-hmm. her, but she's making the move to film. Cowboys and Aliens not a bad choice to make. You know, I no, mean, no, it's, it's, I, it's, it's I, not a bad movie to sign on to. Who knew what the final product would be? But uh, so she could go either way. I could see her. Uh, I could see her on high end cable. Unfortunately, I don't know if she's going to make it as a big screen actress. But uh, you know, one way to send her back to TV is watching on the inside. Totally, because it's not very good. Uh, you know, Derek Jarman certainly an acquired taste. Not everybody likes uh, his 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 aggressively underground British indie way of making movies, but he did basically give us Tilda Swinton. And uh, if you, you know, so we're going to talk about Sebastian in uh, a future week as soon as we get our, our fingers on that. But uh, for the time being, we just got the new Kino, uh, or rather Kino Lorber uh, release on DVD and Blu-ray of The Last of England. And The Last of England is, uh, is you know, Derek Jarman, for those who don't know, uh, died of AIDS uh, not too many years after, well, what is about late 90s when he died of AIDS? Sure. And Blue was his last film, which is basically just him talking over a completely blue screen, one of the, uh, the most aggressive avant-garde um, self-eulogies you will ever see. And um, when he made The Last of England, you could tell that there was already a detachment. This is sort of his, uh, his you know, underground... Uh, cry his primal scream about what uh, he thinks England is becoming. And whether or not you agree with him, you don't have to sort of share his social or his political views to appreciate that this is a very, very singular achievement, a unique, uh, aggressive, um, very kind of combination of commercial sensibilities and avant-gardism. He's just an, he's a, a singular filmmaker and a very difficult guy to describe, but a very easy guy to admire, and uh, certainly one of the most uh, acute visions ever to uh, put their, their thoughts and feelings on film. So that being said, uh, the, the Last of England is absolutely a must-watch on Blu-ray. Uh, stars Tilda Swinton, of course, who is always his muse, and it's out on Blu-ray and on DVD. But the Blu-ray just so is is so much grittier, and it captures so much more of the intensity of what he's trying to say. Uh, you really, really have to watch this. It's um, you know, it's it's got poetic quotations in it. And uh, it's just really, really an intense and uh, almost um, hypnotic film. So 
and you can tell this is a this is a guy who quite likely uh, if he doesn't know that he's going to die he certainly uh, he feels it on some level and you feel it as well so it's a really intense very powerful film oh wait i'm going to go uh, go out on a limb and recommend something no one's ever heard of this is a film called They Made Me a Fugitive. They Made Me a Fugitive is a, uh, a really interesting 1947 thriller. And uh, it's a British film. It stars uh, Trevor Howard. And uh, check this for a, uh, a one-liner. It's about uh, Tre Trevor Howard plays this, this black marketeer who tries to leave the black marketeering business when, he, when his boss starts trading in drugs. And so he tries to leave the business. The boss doesn't buy it. So the boss sets him up for, uh, frames him for murder. And he goes to prison, he escapes from prison, and then he gets set up again. And really, that's like the first like half hour of the film. So it's very twisty, and it's very cool, and it's very noirish, and uh, you're totally going to dig it. And um, Kino has, as usual, knocked it right out of the park with a terrific uh, Blu-ray. I don't know where they got the print from, but it's a, it's a decent print. And uh, the restoration was funded by uh, the uh, British Film Institute. And can't beat that. So I like this film. It's a really f cool little British noir-y thing. And it's got lots of twists and turns, and it's got a great stunt performance from uh, Trevor Howard, who I always liked. And it's good stuff. It really is good stuff. It's directed by this, uh, this guy, Alberto Cavalcanti, who directed Nicholas Nickleby, one of the, very, nice. one of the many t film versions of Nicholas Nickleby. Yeah. And uh, I like this film. It made me a fugitive, which was known as uh, something else. It was, you know what? It, was, it used to be called I Became a Criminal. I think They Made Me a Fugitive was the original title. Uh, either way, it's kind of the same thing, kind of the same uh, sentiment. But anyway, they made me a fugitive. Uh, check it out on Kino, Blu-ray. It's good looking. It's a cool little twisty, fun, noir, murder, mystery frame setup thing. And uh, I think you'll dig it. Totally dig it. I liked it. Lovely. It made me a fugitive. All right, Mark. With that, we are uh, out of time. What? Yes. Yes, we are. We're out of time. We will be back next week. In the meantime, if you want to ask us any questions, hit us up at gods.digigods.com. You can send us your audio questions. We will read them in our uh, Vox Box section, segment, play them, and respond to them. And uh, with that, we will uh, leave you be uh, as we go out to the, the mellifluous tones of the theme of Star Trek The Next Generation.